there is that element of, you know, forbidden fruit. This has been a country that's been off limits for a long time. You know, the lore of getting in there and establishing yourself and, you know, really getting in on the ground floor is, is something that's appealing to a lot of businesses. The opportunity component is really what I think is enticing our clients from the perspective of, you know, what's going on, what can we do? I mean, there's, you know, real estate transactions are, are limited right now, but, but there's so many other opportunities that Cuba is very much interested in. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts, where I write a blog called Law Sites. And I also co-host another Legal Talk Network program called Law Technology Now, along with Monica Bay. And I'm Craig Williams, coming to you from Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. And Bob, before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Clio. Clio is the world's leading cloud-based legal practice management software. Thousands of lawyers and legal professionals trust Clio to help grow and simplify their practices. You can learn more at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. Craig, I'm really looking forward to today's program. As you know, I just recently returned from my first visit to Cuba, which I found to be a very beautiful country filled with very kind and beautiful people. And my ability to travel there resulted from an announcement made by President Obama on December 17th, 2014, that he was rejecting, quote, the failed Cold War era policy of the past and, quote, to chart a new course in Cuba. Since then, the two countries have taken major steps to normalize their relationship, including reestablishing diplomatic relations and loosening trade and travel restrictions. And uh, as our relations with Cuba have thawed, many attorneys are seeing opportunities for their own practices in that thawing, and many of their clients are seeing opportunities for their businesses. So today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to talk about legal issues in doing business in Cuba and the opportunities for law firms to expand into Cuba. Well, Bob, to help us do that, today is our first guest, Victor Lee. Victor is a legal affairs writer who joined the ABA Journal staff in 2013. He'd been a reporter for Law Technology News, the American Lawyer Magazine, and Litigation Daily. He's a former prosecutor in the Bronx. Victor earned a JD from Tulane, an MS from Columbia University School of Journalism, and a BA in history from Amherst. So Victor recently wrote a piece for the ABA Journal entitled A New Dawn for Cuba as it Opens for Business. Just one quick note, Victor does not speak for the ABA or the ABA Journal, but is relaying his personal findings. So we'd like to welcome you to the show, Victor. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Bob. Great to be here. And thanks for adding that disclaimer uh, before I said anything. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Great to have you, Victor. And uh, also joining us today is attorney Elliot Del Pozo Rods, a partner in the Miami office of Schutz & Bowen LLP, where she is a member of the Business Litigation Group and chair of the firm's Cuba Task Force, as well as the firm's Diversity Committee. She is also co-chair of the firm's Focus on Women group. Welcome to the show, Elliot. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me, Bob and Craig. We're really happy to have you here today. Elliot, I wonder if I could just start by asking you, as a Cuban-American yourself, how do you personally feel about this warming of relations between the United States and Cuba? You know, I am nothing shy of ecstatic as to as to this warming of relationships between the two countries. It is unfortunate that we've had this embargo as long as we've had, in my opinion. Um, I don't find that it really has had any real benefit. And the fact that we have moved towards opening up the trade and commerce avenues, albeit slowly, but a step in the right direction, I think is is a wonderful sign of of progress. Victor, has everyone been in favor of this opening, or there have been some people who have been trying to fight it and and stop it? Well, uh, the lawyers I spoke to for the piece, you know, there were uh, Cuban-American lawyers, and, you know, they obviously had some mixed feelings about, you know, uh, President Obama's actions and, you know, what that has meant uh, going forward. Uh, Stephen Zak, who's a former ABA president, uh, was prominently featured in the article. And, you know, he his family lost everything during the revolution. They owned some uh, factories and their house got seized and they were put under house arrest for a couple of months before they were able to leave. And some of the other lawyers that I spoke to as well, you know, had similar stories like there were a couple partners at Ackerman Centerfit who are um, you know helping to spearhead a lot of this investment opportunities for businesses like Airbnb and whatnot and you know they had relatives involved in the Bay of Pigs invasion so this isn't something that you know they kind of took lightly you know this is something that gave them some some mixed emotions and some pause as to you know what they were doing but on the other hand they saw it as an opportunity to help try to uh, bring in American legal traditions and respect for the rule of law. And uh, they feel like it's a good way to kind of, if not bring about change in Cuba, but to kind of push Cuba towards accepting at least some of these changes to liberalize the country and open it up for following generations. So they see it as an opportunity, you know, and, and obviously there'll be some lawyers, I think, who, you know, will never forgive what happened, um, will never accept, you know, just be able to move on. You know, the ones I spoke to for the piece who were actually involved in doing some of this work, you know, they they were able to kind of look at the big picture. I thought that was an interesting part of your article, uh, Victor. Was I mean, you mentioned that some of the lawyers, you know, believe that engaging with Cuba is is really the best way to to move Cuba forward. Elliot, I wonder what's your perspective on that. Can I tell you? You know, it's interesting. There's two things that you hear from Victor. Which Victor, you're absolutely correct. It's emotion and then practicality and pragmatism, right? From an emotional perspective, of course, everything that happened with regard to the Bay of Pigs and what has happened to thousands of people as a result of the communist regime has been devastating on many, many families. And many families have been separated. Many have lost. And so that emotional aspect, I don't think 50 years can change. And so from that perspective, you are always going to obtain and have a group of people that simply don't even want to hear about Cuba because they're so emotionally tied to the past. Now, the reality is, what was the purpose of the embargo and what effect has it had over the last 50 years? And if you look at that purpose and effect, you realize that from pragmatic perspective, right, you understand that it simply didn't work. And allowing business and the doors to open and for there to be flow of information, of communication, of opportunity is somewhat allowing the Cuban people to 
broaden their horizons. I mean, I've, I've been in the island nation and seen the excitement that the Cuban nationals have over the, the changes that have taken place between the United States and Cuba. And when you walk the streets and you talk to the people, you, you realize how educated a lot of the community is. I mean, it's not what you see on television. It's not this community that is, you know, uneducated and, and just simply not, not skilled. I mean, they want to learn, they want to grow, they want to prosper. I mean, take Miami, for example. The Miami Cuban community, which is quite significant, built Miami to what it is today. I mean, a magnificent metropolitan city. I mean, it, they were really at the foundation. So you, you look at what is that Cuban inertia of, of ambition and business and growth, and you can see the, the great potential that there is by opening up the borders. I mean, we're so close. We're, we're such a hub that if you separate the emotion and you understand and respect and empathize, of course, with that, that aspect, it's, it's really parallel and, and wholly separate from the reality that the embargo did not change communism, did not bring it down. And perhaps doing business and opening these doors and not allowing there to be an excuse for actions taken in the island nation can perhaps do a different change in in a positive manner through a pragmatic and business approach. I mean, I think it's great, quite frankly. Yeah, I have to say, I certainly felt that during my trip there that I was welcomed with open arms and, and a lot of enthusiasm. I, I, I mean, I actually met a lot of Cubans who had never met somebody from the United States before, and it was interesting to have conversations with them. I don't speak Spanish well, but I happened to be traveling <laughs> with my son, who is very fluent in Spanish, so that made it easier for me. You know, I met, I met an engineer that was talking to me about the passion of what he does and, and how he does it, and, and I was, I've spoken to many lawyers about their business and, and how they love what they do and how prosperous they have been within their business and, of course, within the confines of of their planned uh, economy and communist regime. There are pauses, there are issues, uh, no question, but the people really are inviting. I mean, they're they're very much excited for this change. And I I think that, that if you look at the regulations that the United States has put forth and the effect that they have for the betterment of Cuban, the Cuban people, they truly have a, a positive cause to them. You know, Verizon Wireless is the first cellular provider to start its roaming capabilities there, and I'm sure that there will be businesses that will follow. But AT&T did the day after I returned, which yes, I have AT&T. that's right, that's right. <laughs> and some people, uh, you know, you, if you travel to Mexico, at least in Southern California, a lot of people travel to Mexico, and, and you'll see... Uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken and Dairy Queen. And there's a lot of people that decry the Americanization of foreign countries with McDonald's and some of the things that we put out there. What's the future of Cuba for business? And are we going to see some Americanization? You know, I, I think I think Americanization is, is um, you know, what's that saying, Bob? When in Rome, do like the Romans. I, you know, <laughs> when in Cuba, we're going to do like the Cubans want us to do. I mean, it, it, it's their island nation. And you do have to go through different areas of power as to approvals. And so they have their very specific, and I'll say it in Spanish what it is, cartera de oportunidades de inversión, which is their list of what are the, the foreign opportunities for investment. I think they will dictate what happens in Cuba. I don't think that we can pretend to expect the United States or Americans to do that. I mean, keep in mind that Europeans, Asians, Latin corporations are already in Cuba doing business as Cuba has allowed them to do. You know, we are coming to the table, if you will, 
late. But nonetheless, you know, geographically, we are so well positioned that we have a great advantage to these competitors with regard to business because of our proximity to the island nation. Victor, I know that your your article came out in June, and given that I know the AVA magazine publication cycle, I suspect you had it uh, had to submit it uh, several months before that. A yeah. lot has changed probably already since then. But what did you find? What are I think you spoke primarily to U.S. law firms. I don't think you spoke to lawyers in Cuba for your article, but what are U.S. law firms doing now as relationships are warming with Cuba? What are they hoping to do with regard to Cuba? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I spoke to one Canadian firm just to kind of get the perspective of a country that had been dealing with Cuba, who had worked with them and, and, and knew kind of what it was like to do that. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I mostly spoke to uh, American lawyers and law firms. Uh, actually, uh, Aliette was one of them, and she was great to talk to. But Thank um, you. you know, a lot of it is just you know proceed with caution. You know, it's obviously there's a lot of enthusiasm. Like the lawyers that I spoke to all said that you know within like pretty much like the day after or you know going into you know weeks and whatnot, they were getting calls from their clients after uh, President Obama made his announcement, you know, what can I do? Um, you know, uh, what, are, what are the steps I have to take to get in? You know, is it worth it for me to do this? You know, stuff along those lines. And so there was definitely a lot of enthusiasm for companies to, you know, especially in the tourism industry, obviously. But on the other hand, you know, these lawyers, what they were saying, at least what they said to me when I was reporting this article, was, you know, one thing to keep in mind about Cuba, and you know, this kind of goes back to um, Elliot's point earlier, is Cuba always does things the Cuban way, um, and American businesses can't just expect to go in there and, you know, just basically take over the place, have a have a Starbucks in every yeah, corner. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like like along those lines, and so you know, there's a lot of risk involved with regards to whether you even want to go into Cuba, like not necessarily you know danger or whatnot, but it's one of those things where because it's such an unknown territory, there isn't a history of American businesses that have really done a lot of business there. It's still very much kind of an unknown for companies. And, you know, for a lot of companies, that might not be the kind of risk that they're willing to take on. Bob, before we move on to our next segment, we need to hear a quick message from our sponsor. Clio is an invaluable software solution for law firms of all sizes, handling all the demands of your growing practice from a single cloud-based platform. Clio enhances your firm with features such as matter and document management, time tracking, and even billing. Clio is an effortless tool that helps lawyers focus on what they do best, practice law. You can learn more at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and with me is my co-host, Bob Ambrosi. And talking with us today is ABA Journal Legal Affairs writer Victor Lee and Elliot Del Pozo Rhodes, a partner in the law firm of Schutz and Bowen in Miami. Victor, you mentioned there are risks and there is a lot of uncertainty about going into Cuba, and yet there does seem to be an awful lot of interest in doing it. It's not a huge market from an economic sense in the global scheme of things. What's the attraction to, to businesses or to law firms with getting involved there? Yeah, well, there, I mean, there was one attorney that I spoke to, um, Yosbel Ibarra, who's at the uh, law firm at Greenberg Trowick, and he, he kind of talked to that point a little bit, like saying that you know Cuba's GDP isn't 
is about 70 billion. So we're not talking about a massive economy here. But there is that element of, you know, forbidden fruit. This has been a country that's been off limits for a long time. You know, the lore of, you know, getting in there and establishing yourself and really getting in on the ground floor is, is something that's appealing to a lot of businesses. And well, and if I can interject, yeah. no, I was just going to say, you know, along those lines, keep in mind as well that the GDP for Cuba, to turn that around, right, the rates have to be higher than 20% to permit that GDP growth to increase to a 5 or 7%. Right now, their their rates are, are lower than, than the average for the region. So they are incredibly trying to entice business to come to Cuba. And within that, you know, what are the sectors, right? I mean, we have the tourism sector, we have energy, we have mining, we have transportation, we have health, construction. I mean, there is a lot of opportunity in the sense of the virgin nature of the island nation. I mean, they have been at a, at a significant standstill in many respects with regard to their construction, their development, their growth, their tourism, which has grown exponentially. I mean, it, it, that's something as well that, that businesses that are looking at hotel management, I mean, opportunity is there, you know, and I think and that's why I wanted to kind of just chime in because the opportunity component is really what I think is enticing our clients from from the perspective of what you know what's going on what what can we do I mean there's you know real estate um, transactions are, are limited right now but but there's so many other opportunities that Cuba is very much interested in I mean look at the Marielle free zone that's an area that that truly is a strong focus for for Cuba. And um, that zone is where they're trying to entice with tax benefits as well. I mean, they have a, a no tax for, for 10 years, which is obviously something that many companies are looking into. Right now, in that area, there are, what is it, five foreign companies. There, I think there's two Mexican, Belgium, uh, one from Spain. There's another U.S. company as well. Uh, you know, it's, it's slow to move because everything, I think that Cuba has been bombarded by all of the interest and so our, our clients are really, you know, they're, they're looking at how to position themselves, you know, entry planning. That's one thing that our clients are looking at, you know, how to navigate this trade embargo issue. Because keep in mind, gentlemen, the embargo is very much still in full force and effect. So we do have these amendments to regulation, but we do have to tread carefully to make sure that we're complying with the U.S. regulations. And by the same token, adhering to the, the Cuban laws, which are very different to the United States rules and regulations. So conducting also, you know, due diligence, for example, that's, that's another great factor. So there's, there's so much interest really in, in how, to, how to tackle that business opportunity. Victor, as we've kind of hinted at, there are some things that are barriers to coming into Cuba, and certainly culture is among them. You know, you said, as we mentioned, that, you know, Cuba is going to do as Cuba is going to do, but what is it that Cuba does? How is the culture so different than Americans and and what is it that Americans, especially lawyers, need to be aware of as they start to move into Cuba? Well, um, I can't really speak about Cubans and, and their attitudes towards America and whatnot. I mean, just what the article really kind of dealt with was more just kind of looking at the at the law and how uh, companies, you know, would have to kind of deal with a country that, let's be honest, you know, hasn't always displayed maybe the kind of respect for the rule of law that maybe countries like the United States are have grown accustomed to and, and companies here have relied on. So, you know, a lot of, based on what um, I reported, you know, the advice that a lot of lawyers gave was that, well, not, not advice, but, you know, you know, suggestions that they, that they, that they, the opinions, uh, yeah. Yeah, the opinions that they gave. Yeah, I, I know saying advice is, it, it can be a no, no. Uh, so I apologize. <laughs> um, so, so right, that's right. <laughs> uh, is, you know, you have to, um, 
you know, when you're going into a partnership with the government, because with a few exceptions, these ventures in Cuba will be some kind of hybrid public-private structure with right. the government having the control. So you have to structure the deal from the beginning in a way that, you know, gives you a remedy in case something goes wrong. And one thing that the article talks about is that Cuba has, you know, signed on to a number of international commercial arbitration agreements. And so that is probably the best avenue for a lot of American companies if they want to go in there uh, to protect themselves. And, you know, as Carolyn Lamb, who's um, done a lot of work in international arbitration and, and, and whatnot, mentioned, if Cuba wants to get these investments going forward, they're going to have to demonstrate that they can be trusted and they can, and that, you know, awards will be enforceable down there. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things that companies have to be wary of, that, you know, you can't just approach it as a typical deal. You have to um, build in some safeguards for yourself and to make sure that um, your assets are protected and that you have a mechanism for, you know, for a remedy in case something occurs. I have to ask, as we are recording this, we are still a few days from our election for president in this country. Uh, and Cuba, too, is you know, possibly on the brink of a change in leader. Uh, Raul Castro is 85, I think. That's right. Fidel is uh, older uh, still. There's got to be a, a change there sometime uh, in the coming years. How important is our election, do you think, to what happens over the next five, ten years with Cuba? And, and also, how important is who is in charge in the government there? Well, I mean, obviously, it's important because President Obama's uh, actions were all done uh, through executive order, not you know, he bypassed Congress pretty much, and so I mean, yeah, in theory, the next president could come in and you know, with one stroke of the pen, completely undo everything that Obama did. Also, looking you know, looking ahead, it doesn't seem likely though, does it? I mean, it, no, it, it doesn't. Um, I, I mean, obviously, you know, you can't predict, you know, you, you can't predict what's going to happen in politics. I mean, I never thought, no. I never thought Donald Trump would be the Republican nominee for president, but <laughs> right. here we are. Or that the Chicago Cubs would win the World Series. Yeah, Chicago Chicago just won the World Series. So in this topsy-turvy world, I mean, who who knows? But but I mean, you would think that with you know the amount of business that has gone over to Cuba since President Obama's executive orders and the additional amount of capital that's been you know, invested uh, going forward, you would think that it would be very difficult for whoever it is to to be able to just undo all that without um, a, without a concerted effort from the business lobby to prevent that from happening or at least to uh, slow that down. You know, in my opinion, I don't, I don't think, I think the next president will either slow it down or proceed. I don't necessarily believe that it's possible to actually, I mean, it is, they can do it, of course, but I, I think it's had such a positive outcome that I, I find it unlikely that someone would undo what's been done, at least thus far. That's my opinion, at least. But certainly, I think that, that we, more importantly than they, are looking at what can happen because our clients, of course, are investing time and money. And it's important to them to be able to proceed and, and advance um, and continue to do so at whatever you know, pace that they can. Of course, the things do not happen in Cuba at the pace that we expect them to occur here in the United States. But um, advancement-wise, you know, I'm hoping that we don't see anything, any backward movement. Well, Bob, I rarely get the chance to ask you a question on this show because you're a host, not a guest. But since you've been in Cuba recently, you can play a little bit of that and kind of tell us about what your experience was about networking and how it was traveling. Uh, traveling was was easy. I mean, there there are still uh, you know a number of restrictions on 
U.S. travel to Cuba, and there are only uh, U.S. Uh, citizens can travel there legally, uh, only under uh, certain categories of, of travel. Uh, one of the ones that most commonly uh, you find people traveling under is what's called people-to-people -people travel, in which you're there to you know, experience the cultural and historical and uh, other uh, aspects of being in Cuba. But, you know, for me, it was uh, just a fantastic experience. I think, I, as I said at the outset, I, to, the most amazing part for me was just the Cuban people themselves are just some of the nicest people I've ever met. I, I got to say, they just go out of their way to be, make you feel welcome and warm. And they're, uh, as, as Elliot was saying earlier in the show, they're well-educated. They're interested in the world and interested in people. And uh, it, was, it was just a, a really fantastic experience. I, I, I recommend, recommend anybody go there. I agree with you. I can't agree more. Excellent. Well, thank you. And uh, Elliot, it's about time for us to wrap up and get your final thoughts as well as uh, your contact information so that our listeners can reach out to you if they have some further questions. So, Elliot, let's start with you and then we'll go to Victor. Well, certainly. I, you know, I'm very hopeful that we continue to see the growth and hopeful with regard to what, what can happen as a result of it. And so, you know, we, we have formed the Cuba Task Force at Shuts. Um, to be able to assist our clients with their legal needs as to the entry planning, the navigating through the embargo issues, obtaining the permits for the export compliance, conducting the due diligence, and protecting intellectual property and trademark rights while doing that. And we've put together a great team here at Schutz that is diversified in nature and ready to, to tackle any part of that. If you have any questions, anyone that's listening and would like to inquire, um, you know, we're actively assisting our clients now with OFAC licenses and with meeting different departments of head that pertain to the many different aspects of business that are being investigated. And so we are boots on the ground in Cuba together with our Cuban counterpart law firm that we are working with, El Bufete Internacional, and working here with OFAC very much so and have been doing that for 20 plus years. I mean, this is OFAC licensure is something that we have done. One of our attorneys, Olga Pina, um, has been and has great experience with the transaction component as well. And so my email is arods, A-R-O-D-Z, at shuts.com. My phone number here at the firm is 305-347-342. And I'm happy to help. And I, and I thank you all for the opportunity to meet with you and, and discuss these new and, and ever-changing regulations. Great. Thank you. And Victor, can you give us your final thoughts as well as your contact information? Great. And, and thanks again for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, I really enjoyed writing this story. And it, it did kind of hit home for me as well because, you know, I mean, even though I'm, obviously I'm not Cuban and um, obviously, uh, you know, didn't have that kind of ethnic uh, connection to the to the story, you know. Both my parents' families fled from China uh, during the communist revolution, so you know I could understand what um, some of these lawyers were going through, what they were feeling, and you know whatnot, and and also seeing how how China has changed over the years. I mean, obviously, I don't know if that's going to happen here with Cuba. Um, obviously, there are different factors in place, but one thing that I think is also kind of interesting is the the potential positive effect that this could have for the United States. One thing that, you know, the story didn't cover because um, it went to print too soon was Cuba's world-class healthcare system. You know, the fact that now, I think a few days ago, there was a story that the FDA is going to start conducting clinical trials on this incredible cancer drug that they've developed for lung cancer. And, you know, it's 
supposedly it's miles ahead of where we had been with our drugs. So, you know, I mean, this is this is a two-way street. It's not just the uh, United States imposing its, its will on its neighbor and trying to get them to change their ways. This could be a beneficial two-way relationship, and I'm really excited to see what happens. If people want to get in touch with me um, to follow up with this story or any other story, my Twitter handle is Lost Scribbler. It's at L-A-W-S-C-R-I-B-B-L-E-R. And my email here at the ABA Journal is victor.lee, that's um, V-I-C-T-O-R dot L-I, at AmericanBar.org. Victor, I, this is Bob. I, I think that was just a really great point. I can only, uh, just from my brief experience with Cuba, uh, underscore the idea that we uh, here in the United States stand to benefit from engaging with the Cuban people, and I hope they stand to benefit from engaging with us as well. But it's definitely a two-way street going forward. Well, thanks to both of you, uh, Victor Lee of the ABA Journal and Elliot Del Pozo-Rods of Schutzen Bowen in Miami for taking the time to be with us today. Really interesting discussion. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having us. Uh, thanks for having us. Have a wonderful afternoon. Yeah, you too. And Craig, I guess that brings us to the end of our show. This is Bob Ambrogi. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. And when you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.